Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Hello and welcome to A Musical Journey Like No Other. This is 33 with William Patrick Corrigan. This is the 28th step on this interstellar musical expedition. We are continuing to follow the story of the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Autumn. Don't forget the first two acts are available now on your favorite streaming platforms. If this is your first time listening to 33, welcome. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans and thanks for tuning in. On this episode, we're having another world premiere of a song from the album, Autumn. We'll be listening to and analyzing the track, Cenotaph, with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. And on this episode, we're listening to the classic track from Billy's 2005 solo album, The Future Embrace. The song is titled All Things Change. We'll also have a special guest on today's podcast, Chicago-based astrologer, tarot card reader, lifelong Smashing Pumpkins fan, Diana Degas is going to be joining us. Her podcast, Mystic Mixtape, is available now wherever you get your podcasts. She can also do readings for you anywhere in the world on social media. You can find her on Instagram at Diana Degas underscore. That's D-I-A-N-A-D-A-G-A-Z underscore on Instagram. 
We're going to have a great chat, I should say, about astrological themes and the connections that are in the album Autumn and other Smashing Pumpkins albums as well, plus readings for Kyle and myself, so that'll be interesting. Kyle is now settled into his new home in Orlando. We should plan a trip over to Epcot sometime soon. But uh, first, we're heading to Chicago for NWA 312, our next big wrestling event. The first full week of April, we've got a book signing, a pay-per-view, television tapings, and a portion of the proceeds go to help the families that were impacted by the July 4th parade shooting in Highland Park. For those of you who are outside the Chicago area, the pay-per-view is going to be available on our streaming platform, our streaming partner, I should say, Fight TV. All the details at NWATIX.com. Kyle. So much going on. Joe's alluded to it. So little time. But let's make time for some more plugs. He said April 7th and 8th, NWA 32, Highland Park, Chicago. April 15th and 30th, World is a Vampire. NWA, you said 32. I'm 56. Oh, man. NWA 312. Just numbers. I was trying to power through. April 15th and 30th, April 15th and 30th, the World's a Vampire Festival in Australia. April 21st, the whole reason for the podcast, autumn release date, June, it's NWA Crockett Cup Tag Tourney, BSP NWA, US of A, we'll find out more as time goes on. And as always, make sure you like, subscribe, share, rate, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it, iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you go over to WPC33.com, continue the pod conversation, smashingpumpkins.com, merch, concert dates, all that. Guys, I've been assembling Ikea furniture nightly, and as the frustration builds, I keep thinking to myself, imagine Billy building this bed frame or bookcase, and I chuckle out loud and I say, Ikea Corrigan. (laughs) Have you ever had to put together Ikea furniture, or are you just beyond that? I'm so far beyond it. I can't even imagine doing it, much less. At least I could have the little Allen wrench and try to figure out where the Google fork goes to the Giga Block or whatever. They got such weird names. Thumb to twist. The only thing IKEA has for me is the is the meatballs, and I don't even eat those anymore. So um, I'm, you know, what out on that. It strikes me here on uh, week 28 of the 33 podcast a few things. One, this car is starting to get a little tattered. We need to pull it over and. uh, Vacuum out the floors. It's a little stinky from our vegan food that we've gotten along the way here on Route 66. Thank you for listening. Um, you know, the good thing is we've gotten better at this. The bad thing is I think we're too familiar with one another and it starts to get a little too inward baseball. So we're going to try to be professional here and uh, focus on the on the task at hand, which is autumn. And uh, let me say one other thing, uh, because as we approach song 33 of the um, of the series— It strikes me that we should probably do something along the lines of take your questions that you might have had over the course of autumn. And so we'll find a means here in the next few weeks for you to be able to submit questions, even if it's on, say, uh, Instagram on Pumpkin Socials or something like that. Uh, And we'll let Kareen kind of field the the best of the best so we can answer your questions, because I'm sure there's some things that we've omitted in all our jockeying and jollying around. Hashtag Ask WPC. Joe and I will look at some stuff and we'll get some questions you going do, you, you do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> well, jeez. <laughs> Either way, we're going to get some great questions that a, from you that fans. I appreciate it, it. Like a form of bullying or was that just me sort of alphaing? I What's the difference? Yeah. I think it's no, ribbing. It's alpha. It's ribbing. Being? Come on now. It's Rivet. just a I, gentle ribbing. Riveting. Um, let's talk about today's song. What's the name of the song again? Cenotaph. Cenotaph. Mm. That's right. It had a different name before and- uh, as Jimmy Chamberlain likes to point out, it's hard for us sometimes to make the transition from the working title to the actual album title. Spum, of course, is still XYU for those of you in the know. So, yeah, Cenotaph. Joe, you know what a Cenotaph is, so let's start there. Oh, boy. A Cenotaph is a large uh, stone structure that is given some sort of 
you know, uh, like an like a large obelisk, and you see a lot of them in um, ancient Egypt. Uh, the one that's probably the most famous here in America is the cenotaph that is in front of the Alamo, which uh, commemorates the Alamo defenders who died during the Battle of the Alamo. And there's been so much controversy around that statue because there's historical inaccuracies that are on it. It's falling apart. At one point, they wanted to move the cenotaph to bring back the original footprint of the Alamo to where it was during the battle. And boy, I cannot tell you as a reporter here in San Antonio how many stories I have done on that cenotaph. And most people just go there and take nice uh, selfies in front of it anyways. So it's, but they, they do kind of act as a divining rod, act as a magnet to people when they have a certain significance to it. And there have been rallies, armed rallies of people who want to defend this statue. And hundreds of people from all over Texas, they revere this thing. So, and it's not just there at the Alamo. I'd have to imagine there's other cenotaphs, other statues like that throughout the world where people have that deep connection with that right. structure. So simply put, colloquially said, uh, if that's even a word, a cenotaph is like a tomb for which there's no body. It honors a sort of a thing. And so it looks like a tomb often, and it's supposed to be treated as you would treat a tomb. And that's where sometimes where the controversy comes in is sort of over the meaning of the cenotaph. I was attracted to the idea of the cenotaph with this particular subject matter on this song because in the narrative, and I know Kyle's head's about to explode, last we saw Shiny, he was on stage singing one of his old gems, one that the crowd wished he'd write another one, and he was whisked off stage by Ruby, who, moving swiftly as only a robot could, grabbed him, shoved Osiris aside, and went off into the night. So we come up here on the next scene in our mental movie, and what do we have? A bare Spartan apartment, sunlight shining through the uh, the drawn shades. And what do we see in two chairs sitting opposite one another but Ruby and Shiny? And in this conversation, the pure consciousness of Shiny through Ruby speaks to Shiny, the living being. So we have, it's a conversation, but the song is voiced from the perspective of Ruby as Shiny's pure consciousness singing to Shiny. So imagine pure Kyle singing to real Kyle about what real Kyle needs to pay attention to. I think that blow Kyle's mind, to be honest. He's frozen, actually, I, I think. I yeah. think no, 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 he's, he's not thinking. frozen. He's, he's, he's thinking. He's, he's trying to compute what his true consciousness would say to him. And I think there's fear. I see fear in the eyes of Kyle because he's afraid of the truth. That would come from his pure I think this, the, the saying, get a grip, man, comes to mind. Pure Kyle. I was just deep diving into cenotaphs because when you guys were talking about this in the text thread the other day, I had no idea what you were talking about. Joe had that wonderful clip he showed, and it was educational to me. So, again, you two, same page, me, the ignorant small child in the background that's trying to just play catch up. I don't know what that has to do with pure Kyle and, and not pure Kyle talking. So yeah, narratively, it's very simple. It's a very simple scene. Nothing happens other than the address that um, Pure Shiny makes to Real Shiny, now sitting in a chair, wondering 24 hours later after sort of landing on Earth, maybe less or something. You know, it's a short amount of time he's stepped out of the capsule. He's now sort of had a second to figure out what's going on. And here is Pure Shiny saying, hey, by the way, here's what's really going on. Let me compute for you the, uh, the math uh, at play. I love this scene, uh, not because I figured it out. In fact, I don't think I've figured it out as deep as it could be yet. The song grapples with the subject matter. And when you hear the lyrics of the song, hopefully it'll resonate in that particular way. Let me put it this way. 
if you could stop time and talk to yourself, but from a place of no fear, complete intellectual superiority, no emotion, and strictly just break it down, like, hey, Joe Galley on pause or Kyle on pause, here's what you need to know right now. Here's what's important. Here's I've taken the time, albeit a nanosecond, to organize for you what really matters. Because I'm devoid of an emotional or sentimental attachment, I can kind of break it down what it needs to be. You know, lately I've thought a lot about Elvis because obviously with Lisa Marie's passing, it put me back into the Elvis orbit. Uh, I got to meet the man who's uh, sort of running the museum there and uh, made friends a little bit. And so I've been doing a little more deep diving on Elvis lately. In many ways, I would sort of not do a lot of Elvis deep diving, even though I'm a fan uh, since I was a child, because... Lisa was always my connection to Elvis. And now with Lisa gone, I'm sort of readdressing not only my relationship to her, but obviously her father and his great musical legacy. And it strikes me sometimes, you know, and and I'll say this, and I think it's a good way to get out and get out quick, is if you go back in a time machine when Elvis was struggling, whatever he was struggling with in the early 70s, where his career was, his physical condition was obviously having some health issues and obviously some issues with prescription drugs, there's a part of me as a fan and on some level somebody who's albeit outwardly attached to the family. If you can get it back a time machine and go back and tell Elvis, hey, what you are and who you are and what you represent and the things you're interested in are so much more interesting to people than you could ever possibly imagine. Have faith in yourself or get it together, man. You know, like, you know what I mean? There's a lot there. There's still a lot there. And I remember the way people talked about Elvis in the, in the early 70s very, very negatively. And even after Elvis died, people went even more negative for years. Fat Elvis, you know, we talked about that. It's shocking when you think of now that we know, I think Elvis died in 76 or 77. Now that we know what Elvis represents, you know, all these years later, don't you wish you could go back and almost tell Elvis, hey, by the way, here's what you actually really, really mean. Not what people are telling you, but what you really mean. And I will uh, openly say I struggle with that at times because, you know, there are times where I I feel like I'm writing music for future generations because I've pretty much, in a grumpy way, assessed at times that the audience that I have had and the audience that would be there in, in younger generations just isn't as interested in what I have to say. But then you do something like Autumn, have everybody but nobody tell you what a bad idea it is, and now suddenly people are starting to become more interested in what I have to say. Part of that is because I've been on a particular journey in life that you can only report back from if you've been on it. And part of that journey and part of what makes it magical is not everything's been uh, roses. And not even everything's been guns and roses. Uh, I would take that too. When we come back, Cenotaph from the Smashing Pumpkins. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by the Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the Smashing Pumpkins. Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limitation box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA. Three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 31st, 2023. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Welcome back to the 33 Podcast. This is William Patrick Corgan, your bovine in residence. That's an inside joke. Your utter host. Cenotaph, Song 28. Wow, what a journey, right? I look forward to uh, (laughs) taking one of uh, those gummy bears that my friends like to take and listening to this whole album at some point. I haven't done that yet. This would be a song I look forward to because it's probably the only, outside of the end of uh, Springtimes, it's the only sort of kind of acoustic-ish moment on the whole record. It's a rare moment of a breath 
the inside baseball on this song is we had recorded a version that I completely blew up. I grew disgusted with it. And I grabbed my acoustic guitar and said to Howard, I'm so sick of trying to fix all these songs and bring them all in the future. I don't care. What if we just do it like this? And an hour later, I was recording the song as you hear it. So take it for what it's worth. There's a sort of sense of desperation, exasperation, and finality in my approach here that just registers as sometimes I just want to sing the song. So here's Cenotaph by the Smashing Pumpkins. from one comes one and only one how is it I secure so we'll be gone and oh I cannot feel I know my songs to arms from no and oh but half of you and I that's the views I've witnessed hearing love and sought refuge and as you come because I grew not used but ever felt Close the slits and rest assured is vigilance and the yell and yells and owls. I'm glad that's and no Should I Welcome back, music fans. You are listening to 33 with William Patrick Corgan. And at this point, I'd like to welcome our guest, Diana Degas, astrologer, tarot card reader, friend of Billy Corgan's. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, the reason I invited Diana on the podcast today was I thought it would be interesting to talk about some of the subjects that she and I talk about offline, meaning not on this podcast, involving some of the astrological dates, auspiciously involving past albums, but also autumn and some of the hidden occult symbiology in autumn, which Diana being in the vocation that she's in and being one of the uh, mysterions of this planet like I am, 
understands this kind of symbiology intuitively. So Diana, if you want to jump in any on that, or would you like a question? Or I think Kyle has a really good question. Well, if we're talking about astrological signs, I know that I'm an Aquarius. I get how that works. But how does it, with an album, is it like the date it was you know, recorded, the date it drops? How does one even get into that aspect of this? Yeah, so I would say that like with a person's birth chart, you're going to cast that chart for when they're born. So with an album, when it's released is how I would analyze a chart, right? Especially because many albums are recorded over time. It really, you know, you'd be casting many, many charts if you were uh, looking at recording sessions and all that. Um, But if you think about it, like the finished product is what you're looking at, right? That's what we're listening to. That's what people are dealing with. So I guess that's a really long way to say it's the release date. Also remember that the minute an album comes out into the public, it shifts the consciousness and energy around the work, not only in the public sphere, but also for the band, because now the band is getting feedback. And so really Mm -hmm. the release date, it really is the most auspicious date of an album. So I guess if we're going to run this down, we should start with the birth of the Smashing Pumpkin albums being released, which would be Gish. And -hmm. I'm looking at this May 28th, 1991. What does that say about that album? I have people all the time telling me how, how amazing it is. They discovered it later in life. This is the thing that musicians love. This is the album's album. Actually, so a few years ago, uh, Gish celebrated its 30th anniversary, and I had posted on social media about Gish's chart. So uh, May 28th, uh, the sun would be in the sign of Gemini, which is a sign that has a lot to do with mental exploration, uh, duality, uh, reflection uh, in from one person to another. So I think a lot of those themes are are present. Gemini is also the sign associated with uh, the nervous system and the hands. Jimmy happens to be a Gemini, uh, sun and moon, I believe. Um, and as such, I think his presence is a huge part of the album. Uh, so you could really kind of get down the rabbit hole with all those details. So I'll try not to here. Plus, I'm a Gemini moon, let's not forget. That means uh, who I wish to be, right? Isn't that what the moon signifies? Your rising is who you aspire to be and who, oh no, your moon is who you secretly are. So I'm secretly a Gemini. I'm secretly just like Jimmy. (laughs) And uh, God forbid. So listen, I love the questions, but let's talk about autumn because that's mostly what we're here to delve into. Uh, You and I were talking the other day about some of the hidden thematics in autumn, if you want to pick up on that. I can't remember exactly what you said. I'm I'm sure I could paraphrase, but I don't think it would make for good radio. Um, So if I'm following, I was saying something about, there's all kinds of stuff out there these days with uh, regard to the esoteric. Uh, One sort of branch that is related to astrology, but is not identical to uh, astrology is this thing called like human design or the body graph system. I believe it was developed in the late 1980s. Uh, it's kind of like, it's kind of another rabbit hole of its own, but I'll just distill it down. Uh, basically they use the, uh, the I Ching hexagrams and there are uh, certain significations associated with those numbers. Um, and so, uh, Billy happens to have like a fifth line, uh, profile and in that system, that represents sort of this figure who is projected upon by others. So the fifth line sort of draws people in. There's like this kind of seductive, mysterious quality, but also people get so sort of wrapped up in their own projections onto it that 
they end up with sort of, at first, these high lofty expectations, almost like this person's going to come and solve all of my problems. But then on the flip, as soon as that person deviates from those projections or expectations, they are then burnt at the stake, so to speak. Um, The fifth line is called the heretic. And so I thought, wow, this story of Shiny is really consistent with that narrative. Yeah, sound familiar. <laughs> and even uh, in the, you know this kind of running thing that we've had lately about bullying as a sort of an extant subject, not outside the podcast, but running alongside some of the things that we talk about on here. Even this week, I continue to be bullied by not just you know, the normal crowd, but some of the old trolls have come back out from under the wood and started bullying me again because, dare I talk about bullying. So let me say something really quickly here just to that, and we'll get back to the fun stuff that we're here to talk about. It's really interesting, right? We live in a world where redemption is no longer part of the narrative. Who you were yesterday is who you are today is who you are tomorrow. Yet throughout all of human history, the oldest stories ever written Most stories in Hollywood that are put onto the screen, and I'm using Hollywood in general terms, have to do with redemption, the hero's journey. Yet, as you've seen lately in public discourse, we've removed the hero's journey, and now who you are is who you always are, and how you are judged is who you always will be. So, for example, the fact that I've ever bullied anybody in my life, and I've said on this podcast that I have done things that I'm not proud of, The fact that I've ever said anything unkind about anyone else disqualifies me from talking about bullying. Just think about that as a subject matter. Have you ever noticed where the FBI would go out and find arch criminals to teach them how they were hacking and things like that because they wanted to understand the criminal mind? So maybe I'm just a great bully who turned a reformed uh, anti-bullyist. But the fact of the matter is, is I have people out there currently arguing that the fact that I once bullied anybody in any sphere at any time disqualifies me from talking about the subject. I also see where people are bullying me because my lyrics are so uh, nihilistic and bleak that therefore I can't talk about anything involving suicide because I've encouraged people to suicide themselves. So as you can see, this is a running theme. And back to what Diana was saying, the heretical nature of, and it's like we talked about, I think it was last week, you want to really make people mad, do the thing you're not supposed to do. When you're in public life and people project on you, you're supposed to act this way and here's the lines. Well, the minute you step out aside that, here comes the mob for you. And you can see the level of fear that Hollywood currently operates in, the virtue signaling and stuff like that, to show just how conscious they are of those lines, even if those lines are unsaid. So back to the heretic part. When you talk about this idea of different archetypes, can you give people an example of a different type of archetypes? Understand that you're not cherry-picking, that there are a panoply of things to choose from when you talk about these types of archetypes in public life. Sure. So another, I guess, number that I could talk about would be the third line. People with a third line profile are very versatile. Um, They adapt easily. They're the kind of people who sort of learn through just doing. Compare that to the fifth line, the heretic or the the hero, depending on your perspective, um, is a lot more self-contained. Fifth lines tend to be a lot more thoughtful about what they're doing, especially because we are aware that people project on us. Okay, I just outed myself as a fifth-line person. Whoops. The third-line person. You're deviating (laughs) from my expectation of what you do on this podcast. Um, 
just because we have to be conscious here of time, sorry, I'm cutting you off, but it's for fun stuff. Two things. One is, just as a general overview, you're somebody known in the fan community and somebody I've known for a while. What's your general read on sort of where Autumn started in terms of like people's relationship to it and where it is now vis-a-vis the podcast and the release of the music? Just kind of give me a general read as someone who has their ear to the fan community. I would say like in the past couple of years, really, I've noticed an upswing in the general tone of the fan community. I think there are a lot of people like myself who are pretty on board for wherever the journey goes, but it's difficult to make a blanket statement. Of course, there's always going to be one dissenter or whatever, but it does seem like there's a lot of positive uh, energy and especially with like the recent tours and everything, there's a lot of sort of excitement for the band in general. Um, But I think a lot of people, to be honest with you, were kind of dumbfounded by the idea of doing a 33 song album and you know it just seems so ambitious and then when you tack on a podcast with that I think people were kind of raising their eyebrows like what is going on here but I think over time I I mean personally I also ascribe to not really reading comments but of what I've heard uh, people seem to have warmed quite a bit between the beginning of you know, act one being dropped to this point. Sure. And I knew that was going to happen because I knew act one was not the strongest of the three acts. And I knew that people were going to sort of, you know, do the knee kick, uh, knee jerk, knee jerk, knee kick. That's a new phrase. Do the knee jerk thing. But the other thing I think is, and it, and this gets into the wider uh, discussion about astrology. And then I think I want to delve into the chart of Joe and Kyle, if we can, is this idea of, you know, and it's very heavily part of an astrological frame is the, the you know the waxing and waning of the moon. As I understand it in my own uh, musical life, you know I've had about four to five cycles of seven years, and seven years tends to be sort of a, a very important number in terms of life progression. And so if I sort of tab my musical journey, sort of starting around 1988 when I started to really get serious with the with the beginning of the Smashing Pumpkins, another auspicious date, obviously in my life. If you tack on seven years from there, well, that takes you to 1995, the height of melancholy and the rise of zero. Seven more years, that takes you to 2002. The band is broken up, and now I'm trying to form a new abandoned Zwan. From 2002 to 2009, those are really hard years. Zwan, the future embrace, the coming back of the pumpkins, and Jimmy leaving the band. 2009, I start a completely new chapter and start to try rebuilding the, uh, the brand that is the Smashing Pumpkins, much to the derision of the mob. Uh, who basically wished me dead. And then uh, around 2016, you start to see the rise of the Smashing Pumpkins again, albeit in a sort of extant version. And then 2023, which is where we're at now, you see a basically what I would refer to as a new golden age, at least in terms of possibility for the band, where we have the opportunity over the next seven years to really chart a completely unprecedented course, not only for ourselves in this waxing and waning of musical ambition and public life, but also be a band in our 50s that makes some of the best music we've ever made when everybody, but nobody, (laughs) and everybody basically said it was an impossibility. Now, at least you see where the possibility of high-level music that, let's say, if you say the highest music the band ever made, pick your era, could the band make that music at that high level again? And I said, that's obviously possible. And you see the optimism that runs through with the idea where if I would have said that five years ago, people said I was insane. And would have judged me insane and called me a bully at the same time. All right, now let's talk about Joe and Kyle, one of my favorite subjects in tandem. 
so let's pick. Uh, let's start with Kyle because uh, Kyle is a is, is a running uh, sort of extant subject here on the podcast. Uh, we love Kyle so much, but I'd like to probe inside Kyle's inner psyche uh, for a second, if we could. This could be either the best thing or the worst thing ever. You're gonna have to put me on mute because I'm going to type. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Right. Okay, there we go. All right. How about this? We'll talk. All right, let's talk about this. We'll talk about you. Why you? Why you type? <laughs> So here's the thing that intrigues me is is this is an aspect of the world around me that I never really thought about. I know like I'm an Aquarius and that's the I, I have ankle issues. That's all I know. And so when you said that Diana was <laughs> going to be on connected? the program, it, apparently weak ankles is in a uh, is like an Aquarius thing. Diana's um, nodding her head. I don't know. Is what it is. And it's water sign. So when we said that Diana was going to be on here, I was like, okay, this is a brand new world for me. I know, Billy, this is your your thing, you, you're you totally in tune with the universe around you. I'm not. I'm ignorant. So this is exciting. I love how it's my thing. <laughs> I'm the only person in the world who likes astrology. Yeah, Diana's here too, bro. Yeah, what the it. hell? <laughs> in full disclosure, Kyle, <laughs> in full disclosure, uh, and to quote a Metallica song, although they didn't write it, my mother was a witch. So I, I, I believe I was born into a long-standing tradition. And I think in many families, those people who have those types of gifts in the occultic arts, uh, oftentimes are hidden, and for for various reasons, one of which is they tend to get burned at the stake or um, or get tossed out of communities. Diane, are we ready to probe into Kyle now? <laughs> Interesting choice of words, but I'm ready to talk about his chart. Let's talk about Kyle. I'm emotionally prepared. In, 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 okay. in, in, in about one and a one and a half minutes, let's get a little like a little cliff note on Kyle. All right, quickly, yes, uh, the ankles are associated with the sign of Aquarius. Uh, In the medieval days, there was medical astrology, so that is a real thing. Aquarius is not a water sign. It's the water bearer, but it's actually an air sign. So, uh, What? Had to correct you politely. I'm so sorry, but I will give you- No, I'm often wrong. I think, but go on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, so let's see here. Kyle, Kyle. Your sun, you know, is an Aquarius, right? But did you know mm-hmm. what your moon sign was? Let's start there. Your moon is in Taurus. Didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah. So all the planets in our solar system, when you're looking at someone's astrological chart, it includes the placements of all those planets when you were born, not just the sun. Uh, so the moon, like Billy said before, kind of has to do with your interior self. Uh, people close to you tend to see that, but others don't. Uh, the moon for you is in Taurus. So Taurus is an earth sign. Uh, like Aquarius, it's a fixed energy, so it's very sort of solid, stable. It can be stubborn. Uh, Taurus moon is also uh, the sign of the moon's exaltation in classical astrology, which basically is a fancy way to say uh, you can express your lunar energy pretty openly. So huh. you're probably a very you instinctual person. You think? He's like a feral cat on the prowl. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Love Watch it. out, Australia. I hope that was sufficient. If yeah, not- yeah. It's, it's it's hard because because honestly, uh, normally if Diana was going to read your chart, it would be about an hour of information. So to so to do it quick is really unfair to the art and of course to Diana. Could you just tell me real quick? Am I broken beyond fix, or do I have a shot? She's at not happiness? a therapist. She's just an astrologer. <sighs> also, not a miracle. Thank worker. you. Do you, well, let me ask, let me ask this question. Do you see something in his chart currently that would indicate why he's going through such hard times? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the moon's nodes right now are uh, in the axis of uh, Taurus and Scorpio. So anyone whose chart has one of the fixed signs, Taurus, Leo, Scorpio, Aquarius, uh, he has 
at least two of those indicated in his chart. The lunar nodes are called like the dragon's head and tail, right? The serpent swallowing its tail. It's like the hand of fate sort of messing with you. Uh, Joe is, uh, Joe like myself, is is due to be betrothed soon. Uh, you know, happily engaged, hopefully happy marriage. What do you see for Joe's uh, marriage prospects coming up? Interesting question. We need more typing. And, and, and while she goes ahead and does <laughs> a little bit of research on that, I want to let everybody know, I feel like I'm in the doghouse today. It's one of those things, you know, when when you have a family and it's all intertwined, you have to ask for favors at certain points. And we're recording this podcast. And at the point we're recording this podcast, my mother also needed to go to the airport, which would have been a task for me, but then had to become a task for my fiance, Shelby. And it's raining, and she hates driving in the rain, so she's, like, really mad at me as so we So we don't need the astrological it's, report. We already know how this is going to turn It's already over. She's going to come She's come back to the house we'll put it this way. You're invited, to my wed- you're invited to my wedding, so we at least know you're going to go to one wedding this year. Oh, there you go. Do you, do you get the— uh, well, Let's not that check back in with Diana right, on the Joe's Diana, future which, report. Congrats, Thank Joe. You. Kyle, you could be my plus one, I guess. Shelby won't be there. Uh, so Joe actually also has his moon in Taurus, which uh, opposes his Scorpio sun. So that means you were born under a full moon. Full moon people are ultimately going to see the everyone's side of a given issue. So there's kind of an inherent diplomacy to this placement. Hence his great uh, announcing. He can understand everybody's need mm-hmm. to win. There, there you go. I get it. Yeah, actually, Taurus is also like associated with voice. So people who have Taurus placements often have pleasant voices. This is a thing. Um, sounds made up. Well, thank you not. very much. <laughs> as far as uh, relationships go, I did notice that you and your fiance have a share like when one person's sun and the other person's moon are in the same sign, there is this kind of unspoken harmony. You just get one another. And then Venus in a chart, especially if you're attracted to feminine people, would represent what what you find attractive in another person. Uh, Venus happens to fall in the sign of Sagittarius for you, which is, I believe, your partner's sun sign. So I think that kind of explains itself. So at this point, I would like to thank Hinge, the app, for getting us together, because obviously they also had something built into their code that knew some of that. Diana, I have a weird question. You mentioned the full moon thing. I always feel weird on a full moon. Like, I can just tell, like, even if I'm not looking in the sky, I'm like, I just have this feeling like, I think it's a full moon right now because I feel off. You sound like my mom. No, right? But but I think there's something to that. Is that right, Diana? Or am, I, or am I crazy? I can't tell you that you're crazy or not, but I definitely can relate to what you're saying about the full moon. I'm not um, alone. It's documented. Yeah, it's documented that more uh, road accidents happen under a full moon. And, so. uh... Hospitals know to have more staffing on full moon nights because there will be more terrible things happening. On that note, please love one another. Do not bully. Stop bullying me if you can help it. But you know what? If you're an old bully, you know it ha- you haven't won yet, but keep going. When we come back in the 33 podcast, thank you, Diana, for uh, adding some fun levity and some occultic insight into our, well, I guess our mundane lives. I mean, we're just whittling away at our wrestling dream and and here you come, enlightening that there's just this other path waiting for us. To Shelby, to Joe, and Kyle, we'll be right back on the 33 podcast with a classic track uh, whose name escapes me at the moment, but it's right there on the tip of my tongue. All Things Change. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay. I love Walker Hayes. He's amazing. He's so fun. Such a great entertainer. And that's why I'm so excited that JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. The Walker Hayes for JCPenney collection is an upbeat playlist of instant classics with laid-back appeal and down-home vibes. As a dad of seven kids, he knows exactly what fathers want and need when it comes to their style. This collection reflects his casually cool styles with outdoor-inspired details and versatile colors. Perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th, just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
what is worth fighting on for. Welcome back, music fans. You just listened to All Things Change off of the Future Embrace Billy's solo album from 2005. Why'd you pick this track, Billy? Well, they bullied me over that one too, Joe. And um, no, you know, it's um, it's my birthday week. The old 56, hard Mazel to believe. Top. Thank you. You know, I don't know how anybody else feels about getting older. I'm not a big fan. I don't think anybody in my family was a big fan. Uh, we're youthful looking people. So when the youth <laughs> ebbs out, and you still see that youthful face in there, but there's a couple more wrinkles, and you start looking a little more like your pop instead of your pop's son. A lot to navigate there, but uh, look, I'm totally blessed. Great year for the band, great year for the NWA. My family is well and safe. Getting married this year, as I said, so blessed with good friends and uh, coworkers and stuff like that. So have nothing to complain about, which uh, a young Billy Corgan at 28, say half my age, uh, would not have believed that to be true. As far as the song goes, you know, it's like uh, when I was talking about when Lisa Marie passed, it's like, what song is good for a funeral? I thought, what song is good for a birthday, you know? And sometimes you write a song like uh, All Things Change where you feel it has a deeper message and you endeavor to, I guess I'm talking about myself, I endeavored <laughs> I used to have this therapist who would say, stop talking like with the you and just use the I, possessive. So I endeavored to try to put into this song this deeper thing that I was feeling about that change is sort of a, a constant and that acceptance of change is a good thing instead of sort of holding on. I think a lot of human pain I know in my life comes from trying to hold on to things that really need to be let go of. As much as I've sort of caustically blown up many bridges in my life, not only in relationships, but even musical relationships and stuff like that, I still have a sentimental streak, which I don't like very much, but that holds on to certain notions, certain ideas. And and even if I could just put a, a bookmark there, I, I, when I finish this little screen, I want to talk about what I'm working on currently musically, because that's probably more important. But with this song, All Things Change, I really wanted to impart this idea of constancy of change is the constancy of life, that it's okay, like let it happen. As often happens with some of these songs, that message just didn't land. And, you know, there's a kind of hope there that at some point, maybe for a future generation or two, they'll understand the sort of deeper meaning of the song. But for now, it's sort of one of those lost little nuggets in my voluminous catalog. 
And so I thought it would be fun to highlight that song. A particularly painful period, as I noted before with Diana, this period sort of between 2002 and 2016, this being the sort of the, let's call it the declining years, and 2009 to 2016 being the sort of rebuilding years. When you're on a roller coaster going down and you don't know you're going down, but you think you're about to go back up, that's a very painful process. As far as uh, uh, music, and then I'll get, I'll let you guys ask me something instead of just talking constantly. You know, it's interesting because I'm working on a new uh, rock and roll album. We're trying to follow up Autumn quickly. There's a lot of sort of vibe around me that I should wait a while, and I have the exact opposite instinct. I want to get more music out as quickly as possible. I feel the door is back open, and I've learned in my life, if anything, at 56, that uh, don't assume that the door will stay open as long as you want it to. Back on the horse. And so what I've gone back to, and I think this is a good jumping off point for the rest of the podcast discussion, is in trying to make a rock and roll album, uh, a, a true, authentic Smashing Pumpkins rock and roll album, really for the first time in a very long time, and I don't necessarily need to describe that, just take my word for it, that statement. I've gone back to the way I worked on an old album, uh, Siamese Dream. It doesn't sound like Siamese Dream per se. I mean, I guess it does in a way because it's the Smashing Pumpkins playing rock and roll, but it's the way I put Siamese Dream together. I'm using those exact same processes. And so for the first time in you know about 30 years, I'm sort of dusting off the old playbook of how I put that album together, the way I approached it musically and thematically. I'm not saying it's a sequel as much as it's like I'm sort of picking up an old Willy Wonka machine and firing it back up. And it's interesting what's coming out of it because not only does it help me find music that I wouldn't necessarily find with what I'm looking for, but then secondarily reminds me of how I put Siamese together at the time and why the album has endured. So it's, a, it's been a fun exercise to do that. This song is off your first solo album, which happened right after Zwan Condor dissolved here. And this was your kind of your first foray into being your own entity away from the Smashing Pumpkins and another band. And also a lot of people talk about this is when you really started interjecting more synthesizer into everything. So it's interesting to me to hear that this phase in your life during this track, you've kind of come full circle in a way. And it's almost what what's old is new again, in a way. So it's do you have a preference about which type of vibe you put out there, the classic, more of this version? Do you have a favorite version of your music? No. It's like asking a favorite child, I know. But I know No, no, I, I, get, I get the gist of your question. I think what's difficult to people, and let's be overly simplistic, because this is not, and, then, and I'll, I'll quickly describe why this isn't true. People say there's the guitar side of the band, there's the synthesizer part of the band. Well, did you know that um, 1979, as far as the band looked at it, and as far as Flood looked at it, the producer, was more of a synthesizer track. Uh, I, which was another hit song that followed shortly after, was another synthesizer track. Ava Dor, in our estimation, was another synthesizer track. So how we voice these tracks has uh, less to do with it than how we approach these tracks. So in our eyes, when people sort of point at the future embraces something, they say, okay, there's the electronic thing, but the electronic thing was there basically starting on Melancholy Hardcore, and we had big hit songs with that. So it doesn't constitute in our minds that way. But for the average person who goes, if I listen to mayonnaise, I hear guitars, and if I listen to all things change, even though there's guitar in there, it sounds more, I don't get it, it sounds more 80s or something like that. As a, as a French reporter once said to me when the Future Embrace came out, it sounds very 80s. And I said, yeah, that's because I started in the 80s. And that's probably a joke I've already made on this podcast. But I love telling it because it's so crazy, right? It's like, it's very 80s. And it's like, yeah, the band started in 1988 and I became a professional musician in 1985. So I'm actually from the 80s. But um, 
will play that game too. Simplistically, to answer the question, because I'm all over it, or maybe I'm over it, music, by and large, is a very emotional, personal thing. Most people absorb music through their ears in a personal space. They're working out, they're in their bedroom, uh, getting ready for bed, or they're getting up, getting ready for work, they're brushing their teeth. So music has a particular intimacy. And so when a person attaches themselves to a particular sound and registers that as the sound of their sort of emotional reaction, they stop to become intellectual about it and become highly emotional about it. I love 60s music. I listen to a lot of 60s music. And if I actually look at 60s music through the prism of, say, a Howard Willing, who I work with all the time and is constantly trying to bring me into the modern world, Howard thinks 60s music is vastly out of tune compared to modern music and is oftentimes suffering from not great recording techniques, even though I like those recording techniques. So if I listen to 60s music the way Howard listens to it, it sounds antiquated. But it still gives me that buzz that I like. So when I listen to it, I'm not thinking this is antiquated music. It's like, I like the feeling that I'm getting. So a lot of times when people talk to me about, like, pick your type of sound, it's more they're asking me to reinforce their emotional memory rather than a musical one. And the greatest example of that is for those of, uh, in the crowd who are still complaining about Autumn and Seer, of course, by extension, being too electronic in quotation, there's easily 10 to 12 hard rock songs on Autumn. So we're playing this weird shell game of like, am I supposed to just make completely all guitar music because that would satisfy you? Well, I have made all guitar music. Monuments to Analogy was almost all exclusively guitar. There was a little bit of synthesizer, but no more than there was, say, on Melancholy. That didn't suffice. People didn't really like the record, and it certainly didn't sell. People tend to like Oceania, which is more guitarish, but there's plenty of synthesizer in Oceania. You just wouldn't hear it because it's not up in your grill. So... To answer your question faithfully, Kyle, no, I don't really care because I look at musical tone like a kid looks at crayons in a in a box. And what's the big box that you get when you're a kid? 64 colors of crayons. So to me, a synthesizer is just another color of a crayon. And there's plenty of music out there in, in Smashing Pumpkins world that you think is a guitar that's actually a synthesizer and tons of stuff that you think is a synthesizer that's actually a guitar. So we can play that game too. Did well, I bully anybody when I was giving that answer? Not yet. But no, we could get started. No. If it's your birthday, we could do whatever you want. You talk about change, but you also talked about how with the way that you're recording the next album right now, you're going back to a lot of the the processes that you used with Siamese Dream. So I think it's really interesting that we're talking about growth and age and wisdom. And not only are you changing things slightly, but you're going back to what you remembered works or what you think is going to make you feel comfortable or what you think is going to be financially viable or whatever it is, but choosing what to change. I think that that's the important thing is choosing what to change and to incorporate what you've learned throughout your life. And, you know, being 35 years old and just your birthday, wink, wink, you know, something like that, all these years that you've had to, to grow as a musician, as an artist, to try to find those things that work and to change and adjust them into the next project and the next project and to build upon it. Is that a question or a statement? Sorry, yeah, I'm just well, a no, lost it, in that. No, it's a question. And I know I kind of went into the weeds there, but like, how do you, how do you make that decision to completely go off a beaten path or to incorporate the stuff that you have learned? Because you mentioned that you're using a lot of the stuff that you incorporated from making Siamese Dream into the next album. So how do you make those decisions? Well, let me quickly distinguish that. It's a way of working, not a musical quotient. So it's a way of approaching information and sorting information. 
The problem with it, and, and I'll be somewhat oblique about it, is it's a process that very easily becomes negative. And I suffered from horrible, crippling, suicidal depression during the making of Siamese Dream because of this process. Because, And I think that's a lot the reason I never went back to it, because it's very easy to kind of fall into a, a pit of despair. But it yields a very specific result, and I've been working with that same sort of process again, and it's yielding a similar result in terms of diversity of music and why I went after certain things. That's a bit oblique, but without getting into the musical quotients, it's hard to talk about. As far as your sort of other point, you know, I've touched on it before, but I let me try to be definitive and simple, which is hard for me to do. And I've talked about these things uh, here and there. You can take two pieces of music. One is very sentimentally voiced, and I really personally like it, and I have high hopes for it. One is unfamiliar and kind of alien to me, and I'll play both pieces of music back-to-back, and 19 times out of 20, I will pick the thing that makes me uncomfortable. Because in my maturation as a musician and in my rise as an international musician, it was making those uncomfortable choices again and again and again that yielded results. And I saw where everybody around me made comfortable and familiar choices, and either they didn't have the talent to pull off the familiar, or if they had the talent to pull off the familiar, they would have kind of an arc that would last about five years. A bunch of bands come to mind who had really great white-hot periods and were never able to follow it up with, let's call it, a different version of the band because they went all in on this one thing that they did. When the Pumpkins sort of reached a first nadir during Siamese Dream, I've talked about this in older interviews, we actually had a meeting where I said in talking about what melancholy was going to be, do we make the change now or do we go one more record? And the band voted in a rare moment of democracy to go one more record because we were on a hot roll. So basically melancholy was actually past the due date that I felt we should be on guitar type of music. But you also see me bringing in all these other influences. But by the time we reached the end of the melancholy period, I was completely exhausted in that style. And it took me many, many years to even come back around to it. You can argue I never fully came back around to it. Maybe this is the first time with what I'm working on now because of a lot of different emotional things that I went through, including sustaining past, in my eyes, the due date of us being like a straight rock and roll band. Let me ask you this. Is it much more challenging now to be able to be in the position where you're trying to churn out the rock album? Now you're a father, you're getting married, you've got the National Wrestling Alliance, like... Or does all of that work and all of that life experience and everything around you help inspire you and push you forward into creating more music? You know, it's the complete opposite, and I'm not trying to dodge the question. The difficulty isn't in approaching rock music. I'm quite comfortable with it. I've been doing it for, you know, 40 years, and I love rock and roll guitar, especially when I love it and I'm in the mood right now, so I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving playing. I'm playing, you know, four to five hours of guitar a day. I was up at five o'clock this morning, literally working on stuff half half awake. It's just, I get on this kind of roll. The difficulty at this point in my life, and this is where I sort of have to stop and really acknowledge the moment, is it's hard to open myself up internally and reveal myself and be as honest and candid as I need to be to make great rock and roll. I think that's why, by and large, not always, but by and large, Rock and roll music is a young person's game because you have everything to win and very little to lose. As you get older, you have a reputation, good or bad. 
There's things that you don't necessarily want to talk about, and you're, there's things you don't necessarily want to even get into. You know, I've been in a relationship for 10 years uh, with Chloe. We have two beautiful children. We're about to get married, as I've said now for the third time on this podcast. And you reach a point where you're like, do I really want to dig up the garden one more time? Do I really want to get down into the roots of why I tick, how I feel, whether that subject is love, family? And I can tell you that over the last 10 years, the closest thing I've gotten to digging up those roots and really revealing myself in a very internal way is my solo records, OG Lala and Cotillions. And I can tell you that over the last 10 years, those are the records that have been paid the least amount of attention to. Now, that's more about what name it came out under, the fact that they're very acoustic records to the general kind of rock fan. It's a little bit of an alien atmosphere. But that also tells me that most people are really not that interested in my internal dialogue. They're interested in that internal dialogue when it syncs up with great riffs and anthemic rock and stuff like that. So that modality is clear. And even if you look at Beguiled, there's a perfect example. You got the riff, you got the internal revelation. I'm singing about something I care about, and it translates. And uh, where I've been able to do that, I've had a lot of success in my life. So trying to come back and say, follow up Autumn with what I would call a straight up, in your face, old school Smashing Pumpkins record in the vein of a Siamese dream or a melancholy. And I want to be careful here because I know people like to jump off I'm not trying to make a record like those records. I'm not even trying to make a sequel. I'm trying to make our version of that record circa 2023. Do we have anything new to say? We'll find out. Can I bring anything new to the table? Not just uh, old tropes, stars, and moons, but actually say something fresh. I was talking to a very gifted uh, intuitive recently, and the intuitive said, because they picked up on the fact that I was stressing out about music, they said, this album will be about the words. So I think that sort of sums it up, right? I'm I'm creating the emotional template musically to make an album about words and what I have to say at age 56. And whether that means anything to anybody, we'll find out. But that's how it lines up for me. So the other stuff that you asked about doesn't really enter my sort of mental uh, churn. I like it. I also like something that I've gotten a lot of feedback lately as we're winding down on the podcast here, which is our fun six degrees of William Patrick Corrigan came up online the other day. And I thought, hey... What better way to end this than go out on a high note? And we're talking about sequels and everything like that. And I know there's a big movie coming out this summer with Keanu Reeves. And I just got to ask, Six Degrees of William Patrick Corrigan, Keanu Reeves, experience, do you know him? How do you know him? Never met Keanu. We have exchanged pleasantries through familiars through the years. So there's a general warmth there for whatever reason, Uh, maybe because he's also a musician. But I can tell you there is a Six Degrees of Separation story. I have to omit the names to protect the innocent, and I'm going to tell the very basic version of the story because it makes a great story for my book. I started dating a woman somewhere actually during the uh, mid-'90s, and I was coming out of my marriage at the time. Yes, I'm getting married. <laughs> but I was coming out of <laughs> yes, I was coming out of another marriage, a previous marriage. And I started dating this woman. And, uh, and she kept telling me how Keanu Reeves was her best friend. And this is when Keanu Reeves was like number one, one, one. He's obviously still a huge movie star. It's amazing. His career is fantastic. But at that time, he was inarguably, he was like the number one movie star in the world. He was in everything. And she kept telling me, Keanu, Keanu, Keanu. I mean, she said his name so many times. If, if I didn't know it, I think, A, she was in love with him, and B, Uh, They were having a romantic relationship, but she swore up and down that they were just friends. 
And so the, the finish on this story is all I heard about for months was Keanu this, but I never met Keanu, right? So it's a Keanu, oh, I just saw Keanu and oh, you got to meet him. And so, you know, he's like, he was the third wheel in this relationship, whether I wanted him to be or not. And then uh, this person kept telling me, oh my God, he's cast me in his new movie and I have a starring role and I have such a bright future in Hollywood and wait till you see this movie. Oh my God, oh my God. So it was like, then it became about Keanu's cast me in this movie. Oh, what a good friend. And so by the time the movie came out, we were we were no longer uh, together. But I went to see the movie because I, you know, <laughs> I'd heard about, and I swear to God, she was in the movie for maybe three seconds. Um, it was obviously a part that they had written just to put her in the movie for some reason. And so my sense was she must have harassed poor Keanu to the point where he just put her in the movie. That's if she knew Keanu at all. So we'll leave it at that. Thank you for being here on the 33 Podcast. Next week on Six Degrees of William Patrick Corgan, we'll delve into my relationship with all uh, other various celebrities in the in the what's the word what's the we'll, word? Uh, we'll just keep picking people who have been in the Matrix trilogies. So we'll do with Lawrence Fishburne will be on the next episode. I actually know him. I do. We'll see. I know, him, for the I, next know him on a, I know him on a first name basis. I, um, I I also have a Lawrence Fishburne story, so that'll be fun to talk about. Is that our other podcast or this podcast? Okay, anyway, see you next week. Goodbye. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Take a pause from your to-do list with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 